Jesse. Hello. How's it? How you going, man? Oh, good, man. How are you? Yeah, all right. Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Welcome to Facing the Crowd, Jesse. Right on. It's about time, right? <laughs> oh, mate, it's been a while. It's been a roller coaster. And we just, we just uh, lost half the power in the studio. Oh, luckily, perfect. Luckily, it's on two circuits. So we found a, we figured it out, and the, the left hand side of the studio has got power. So very lucky there. Very lucky. The laptop's not, the laptop's not going to die. So the studio had a stroke, basically, is what you're telling yeah. me. Yeah. Just the left hand side works now. <laughs> It's unbelievable the things that are conspiring to stop this podcast. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm, I'm just coming out of a 10 day isolation for coronavirus. <laughs> oh, so great! I come out today, and uh, wow. obviously when I when I got the um, the 10 day quarantine thing, I was like, let me just count that. Oh yeah, Jesse's on Thursday. So it was another thing that nearly uh, right. What is it like? Our, our, our fifth. I think it's like our fifth attempt, maybe yeah. sixth attempt. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had Sam. We had the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried to die. Hey, you you off. almost died. You know, casual. No big deal with that. Yeah, you lost your voice. Man, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Dude. <laughs> yes, he's here. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, fingers, I think I'm still here to do Yeah, well, that's great, man. Hopefully, no act of God will shut us down. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Wow. Not. But yeah, congrats uh, pulling through that, dude. That's that's. That's pretty gnarly, man. So no, cheers, look- man. And you know what? All your advice was amazing. You know, and it was it was it meant a lot to me that you know you reached out and you said those things to me. You know, really good of you. Really good of you. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel like it's the least I can do in my older age. I've had to change a lot of things, and it's made a huge difference in my life. Like just knowing what doesn't work for me anymore, mm. and for better or for worse, that's dairy and gluten, which, you know, I used to love pizza. I can no longer have pizza or beer, which sucks, but mm. the way I feel, dude, it's so worth it. You just have to adapt and change. And a lot of people don't realize how much diet and exercise and that plays such a huge role. It's yeah. like everyone rolls their eyes about it, but dude, that that's prevented me from going to the doctor for a long time. It's been mm. great. I'm glad it worked for you, man. I'm, yeah, keep it up. You know, I'll go Brother. to the gym most days. I really enjoy it, actually. And it's, it's given me an excuse to listen to a lot more music, you know? Totally, I listen, man. Yeah. I listened to the Weapon album twice today in the gym. Oh, it's killer, a bit man. too short. I was going to say, yeah, it's like, what, 15 minutes long, the whole thing? I know. We're going to work on some new material. Those boys, are, we're going to be doing a cover soon. I, I just have to learn Japanese. It's a Japanese hardcore song. Oh, wow. And, those guys have a whole other EP ready to go. I just, I haven't had the time, but yeah, that the weapon is awesome. I love that band. I'm so stoked. I have it, but yeah, we're, there's no song over like a minute and a half, maybe three minutes at the, at the, <laughs> t- at the most. Yeah. It's hardcore. It's not supposed to be long. You know what I mean? It yeah. is hardcore, but there's a lot of melody there as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, yeah, I, I can't help but put melody in. I, I love when people sing along. Hopefully that band will play out someday, man. But we just, all of us boys are just all different in different uh, parts of our lives. One's getting ready to have a kid. One is a full-time engineer. And then Josh, our uh, bass player, is the production manager for Killswitch. So when I go mm. on the road, he goes on the road. So Sure, yeah, we'll- sure. Well, you've got loads of shows coming up now, right? Yeah, more than I can even talk about. Yeah, that my email has been, I've been nonstop. Um, I, I basically had an anxiety attack yesterday. Um, life is just going to go back to quote unquote normal real quick for me. They're mm. trying to book straight through till next summer. Kill Switch wow, is going to be. Wow, yeah, is, we keep seeing these festivals popping up on the Instagram and you're on the bill and we're like, wow, there yeah. they are again. <laughs> then they're trying to throw Times of Grace on the road. On top of that, I'm like, dude, you're killing me. 
Like we're 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 not we're not easing back into normal, quote unquote. We're we're jumping the motherfucker back in. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. We'll see Amazing. what happens. But while we're talking about that, congratulations on the new album. Thank you. Uh, I've that. read a lot of reviews and also obviously listened to it myself countless times and I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about the album whatsoever. No, you can't. It's an instant like classic. I try not to pay attention to that from the offset. Thank you. Yeah, it it was a labor of of love and uh yeah, we both worked our asses off. Adam D more so. He he really wrestled with that thing after we were done cuz it, it was done well before the pandemic hit. Mm. And, and Adam spent that time just to really reamp the guitars, mix it, like tweak that thing till it was like untweakable. And I think it's incredible what he did. I mean, the interludes, the way that the way the drums sound, amazing tones he was able to get out of that. And then to capture the emotion of both of our voices. Yeah. Hats off to Adam for sure. But I definitely, I put a little bit of blood, sweat and tears in that thing myself for sure. Oh, of course you did. Of course you did. Yeah. I mean, I also, I mean, there's, he's obviously, you know, he's, He's so good at producing now, isn't he? He's, he's, he's done. He's produced so many bands. It's you know, and his production is always flawless, as far as I'm concerned. It is. It's painfully so at times, you know, because <laughs> uh, working with him is like at times I'm like, oh, dude, really, another take? But he knows what he he's trying to get out of me, and he gets it. So you know, mm. the cool thing about him too is like he knows me well enough. To, he can tell when I'm getting frustrated. So. He'll tell a joke or he'll call like, oh, I got to go pee and he'll disappear for like two minutes. And he knows yeah. it's me. He gives me time to like breathe it out because, you know, my voice isn't perfect, but the emotion is there. So sometimes I got to do a thing like 10, 12 takes until it's where he wants it to be. Mm. So it's definitely me working to my fullest potential when I'm working with him because of his perfectionism. But, um, you know, if it wasn't for that, I, I probably wouldn't even have a career. So, again, you know, all hails to that guy, the genius um annoying brother of mine that he is <laughs> when you blew uh, your blew your voice out the other day you said there was a a lot of uh, studio work was that right was it just too much you gave it too much over uh, quite a few days in a row? yeah it was actually rehearsals for our live stream event which is coming up on august 6th um we were so excited to get back to it that we laid out like 35 something songs including stuff we've never even recorded I mean, never played live rather. Um, and it was just too much. Uh, we were going to do a whole other. So the way this is going to roll out is we're going to play our newest record atonement in its entirety. Then there's a little skit in between. And then we go and play our first record in its entirety, our first self-titled. Then the thought was have a second stream with all rarities of stuff that we've never played live. That rarity set just took everything out of me and we're we're rehearsing every day i would take a day off rehearse three days take a day off it was a good almost a two-week time and by the end of that i was just i was pushing too hard i was going too i was getting excited that's what happens <laughs> when you step away from something you love and you know like oh let's do another take let's do, and before i wasn't even paying attention we did like a four-hour set and that's i've never gone over live i've never gone over like an hour and a half so mm. I went well beyond my limits and didn't realize it till the next morning when I woke up and I was like, whoa, I did it. I totally. So it's kind of my fault, uh, but it's just basically just being excited and pushing and being like a spaz and not paying attention. <laughs> you know, calm Good down. stuff to get excited about though, eh, Jesse? Yeah, but it was great to see the boys and jam with them and like just be in a room with them and see our crew and 
just run rehearsals for that thing. So it's going to be great, man. We put a lot of work into it. The production's going to be incredible. And, and there's um there's definitely some uh as you guys would say some cheeky uh skits in between as well, which you know, it's kill switch. It's not all going to be serious. So it's going to be good, man. It'll be a party. Is is Adam going to be wearing a kite? <laughs> no, actually it's funny because, you know, because it's going to be live and it's people are really going to be listening into how well we perform. You, a lot of the band is just like really laying into their instruments, trying to sound good. So it's less about the crazy performance and more about like sounding good live. I think we're so hyper-focused on like, we want this to sound good. So the goofiness will come in between stuff. There's goofiness, but it's not while we're performing for the most part, but I <laughs> want to give it all away. I don't want to give it all away. All no, I will no. say all I will say is the the first record we're performing the first record uh, we don't really look like ourselves that's all I'll say there's, there's definitely okay. a, bit a costume change for that set that'll be <laughs> interesting yeah that no capes no looking capes. forward to it looking forward to it <laughs> no capes yeah when I when first well saw Kill Switch engage a download and I was <laughs> Adam was running up and down with the cape on I was like I love that guy already. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just so awesome. Yeah. I wasn't with the cape on. It's yeah, it, yeah. Me, it's like he—he's still a goof, but he kind of put the cape aside when I rejoined. I really haven't seen much of the cape. Yeah. Um, but I will say this about him: you know, the more I've analyzed his performances and, and why he does what he does, he's really just giving everybody a big middle finger. He loves pissing people off. He loves the fact that people at one point and probably still do looked at kill switch and were like, Oh, you guys are screwing metal up. You're like, take it seriously. Stop being such an idiot. When you say that type of shit and he hears it, he's like, Oh, I'm going to do this even more now. Fuck you. Yeah. I, I kind of love that about him. It's very punk rock. Cause I yeah. know there's some, some older guys in the quote unquote scene that, that totally turn their nose up to that and hate that. And that just fuels his fire. So it's kind it just of just makes him run down and do more shots, doesn't it? When he's playing, but he does he goes and does a shot in the crowd and at the bar, and then he runs back on the stage. Yeah, it's amazing, dude. That's like that's fun and classic. I got to say that, man. You know, I've learned that uh, how to have fun on stage because um, prior to rejoining Killswitch, you know, even with Times of Grace, like if you look back on the footage of us online, like I'm. I take my shit very seriously, probably so much so that someone needed me to lighten up a little bit. So rejoining Killswitch has made me laugh at myself and actually have fun on stage because how can you not with Adam? There are times where he'll, <laughs> he'll make a joke and it'll come out of nowhere and I can't even start the song. It just His genius just comes through. Or he'll just say something so shocking that I'm like, shit. And I'll look in the audience and you can see certain people are bummed at what he just said. <laughs> And the, it's kind of funny. I can't help it, even though some people do get insulted occasionally by what he says. It's Adam. What are you gonna do, man? Lighten up. I think it's a it's a great way. You know, if you can be like that in life and you can have a laugh at things, then it's you know it's it's a great attitude to have, isn't it? You know, why take life so seriously? Yeah, yeah. I've learned that the uh, the hard way for sure from rejoining Killswitch. But I love it. I love it, dude. It's totally chilled me out, and I enjoy performing more because it's not all about just you know, what's the point, I guess. I don't know. Mm. So, yeah. So you've been, you've been um, up in it's Woodstock, you live, isn't it, Jesse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved to Woodstock going on two and a half, almost three years now at this point, and uh, absolutely love it up here. I'll never, ever move back to a city. I love being surrounded by mountains and woods and 
all kinds of creatures and stuff. It's beautiful up here. Yeah, it's, it's, it does look awesome. I've, I've seen on, on your Instagram and whatnot. Woodstock, I mean, to us, it's like this just magical festival that happened uh, so long ago. We just, I know it's a place, but it's, it's got, it's got such a, I mean, when I was growing up, my mum and dad were like into Deep Purple, The Who and all that and Crosby, Steels and Nash. All, most of them played Woodstock, didn't they? And it's just like a kind of, cult thing that you think it's just a legendary moment that like if you're going to go back in time to to any gig you'd probably go back to Woodstock wouldn't you or something like that you know what I mean and uh, to, to actually uh to live there you know it must be the coolest thing ever really living around that it area is, it is pretty cool but what what's ironic and a lot of people don't realize this including all the tourists that come up here all the time like if we if we were to walk out of my house and go to the downtown area they're tour buses of people that come to this area because of the festival. The festival took place in Bethel, which is an hour and a half away <laughs> because they couldn't fit that many people here. There wasn't enough space. So Woodstock, if you really look at the history of it, which I did, this has been an artistic colony since the 1800s. So there have been the freaks and geeks and weirdos up here since the 1800s. So it's an artist colony before all that. So even before the festival, you had Bob Dylan living up here. You had the band. They recorded the Big Pink over in Socrates. Um, you have uh, yeah, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Neil Young. So a lot of the places that we hang out at and go to bars because we're we're wide open now here in New York. You can go to anywhere. You know, the first weekend I moved up here, I sat at this place. It's an Italian restaurant in, in town here, sitting at the bar. And to my left was an older couple, just a regular looking older couple. You know, white hair, really sweet. And uh, he's like, oh, he's kind of tapped on the bar next to me. He's like, you knew up here? I was like, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I just moved up here. He's like, yeah, because most people don't come up here in winter. It's usually summer, it's tourists. So you, I was assuming you just moved here. I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, I just want to let you know, I was one of the guys that helped put on the actual festival. And where your elbows are right now is where Neil Young used to do blow off of that bar. And, uh, <laughs> and in the back room there, you could, you could take a girl and you have fun and do a little hanky-panky. He's like, this is the spot where everybody used to party. This particular bar that you're hanging out at, he's like, Bob Dylan, he just went down the line of people that have partied here. And it was like oh, the spot man. where at a given night, you could see those guys jamming out in the front room and Janis Joplin would be drunk in the bathroom. Like, it's got history here. So regardless of the festival being an hour and a half away, the town is just, there's something here. There's a magic. And I've been coming up here for about 15 years as a, just to get away and have fun. And it just felt like, why am I living in this city paying quadruple what people pay up here to like rent a house. And this is the place I would go for vacation and to get away. So now I live in my vacation and, nice. and the locals here, You've got this guy who never wears shoes. He looks like Gandalf. He sells tie-dye t-shirts out of a shopping cart. Like he's out there right now in the town square. There's hippies there that bang on the bongo drums and congos. And it's, there's a magic here and I'm part of it now. I fucking love it. My neighbors, one of the guys used to be in parliament, Funkadelic guitar player from the bad brains. You got um, all kinds of people. There's come out of the woodwork and you'd be hanging at a bar and the live music that's been coming out of the woodwork now, like, legends are coming out like hanging at the bar and playing because we're back open so it's a cool fucking place to live man for yeah, sure man. I, was, I, you, I didn't really know how to word the question but i really wanted to tell me what, exactly what you just did so <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant <laughs> i got a good woodstock story you did you did That's the well, yeah. you look it up it's, it's it's intense like this has been an art colony for a long time 
And there's two guys that basically started it. That, and at one point, one guy was the mayor. He was the chief of police. And he was a sanitation guy. Like these two guys ran the entire town and it just turned into a little hippie enclave and it's still that way, but it's definitely becoming more touristy and the locals are a little bitter about it, but I love it because new venues are coming in. Uh, the Bearsville theater, which is down the street from my house is where Janis Joplin cut her teeth and they just opened up a, a I wanted to say a thousand capacity venue. Like I can walk, I can stumble there wow. from the, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. So you think a lot of tourists, they come and they, they kind of deep down they expect there to be a little mini wood stuff going on <laughs> when they get there and they're like, oh yeah, they see the guy, the Gandalf guys, they've got, they've got a tie dye shirts, they've got something. Yeah, but you know, the, the thing about it is though, there's enough gift shops and tie dye shops and magic shops and places to get crystals and beads, like that whole vibe is the downtown area. So if you're coming up here expecting a Woodstock vibe, you're going to get it. Uh, and now that we're back open, uh, there's a venue over here called The Colony, which has been there forever. And they have a beer garden out back, big wide open beer garden with a stage. And they have live music every single day. So even if you're just coming in on a Tuesday afternoon, you can go have a drink and listen to live folk music. You can listen to a rock band. I was out going to the farmer's market like a hippie and uh, I heard ska music. And I was like, what the hell? I love ska music. Who's playing ska music? It's this band called the Slackers. They've been around since the 90s. Incredible ska band. And they're just playing in my backyard. And I'm like, oh, fuck the farmer's market. I'm going to go get drunk and watch the Slackers, dude. That's amazing. Yeah, you, so that's my, that's my hood. You still enjoy listening listening to music and, and uh, seeing live bands as much as you ever have? Oh, I, I like it more sometimes than performing. I love going to shows, man. That's mm. my favorite in the world. But you know, for me, it's it's all about quality. I don't care what kind of music it is. I love all different kinds of music. If you're playing your heart out and you sound good, I'm in. I love it. I'm a little tired of Grateful Dead covers because of where I live. <laughs> but um, live music is live music. The first time I heard it again after this whole lockdown shutdown, I, I was in tears, like just listening to this terrible Grateful Dead cover. And I'm like, this is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> We all feel like that. We're, we're, you know, we're we're sort of starting to everything's starting to open up here, and you know, we're booking shows, and it's yeah. great. It's great to sort of get that excitement again I'm about get, trying to get tickets for things and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm going to a show on Sunday in a, in a in a pub. It's not not far from my house. It's like a, a couple of punk bands and a few metalcore bands. I've yeah. been in a pub to watch bands like that for well over a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. I'll be honest with you. I love watching bands in small spaces. It's, yes. There's nothing, man. When you can like smell people, it sounds funny, and people are like, "Ugh, it's nasty." But I miss that shit. I oh, don't care. Yeah, I'm oh, it's all a about nasty ass pub. <laughs> That's how it should be. God damn it! It's, it's six pounds on the on the door. Six pounds. You get wow. six bands. I mean, That's you brilliant. Know, you're winning, I grew up, aren't you? You're winning. I love that. So would yeah. you say you you'd, you prefer playing smaller venues? Do you, do you feel more from the crowd than the smaller venue? Typically, yeah, but it all depends on the crowd. If the crowd mm. is amazing, it could be 10,000 people. I mean, we played the Alley Pally in London, and I would hold the microphone out, and the audience was louder than us. And mm. I'll never forget that gig as long as I live. It's all on the audience, man. If a good show is truly dependent on the audience, if the audience is good, it's a good show. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's 300 people or, you know, 30,000 people. But yeah, I mean, the punk punk rock in me 
would love to be able to just touch. I, I love coming up to somebody, putting the mic in your face, feeling your arm go around me and you're on stage with me. No security, no barriers. That's the shit for me, 100%. Mm. When, we rolled out, when we rolled out our last record, Incarnate, we did five shows in the New York City area in small venues, like 300, 400 capacity venues. Those were some of my favorite shows we've ever played, ever. Because mm. it was like, we told the audience, the stage is yours. There's no security. You know, the bouncers were there on the, in the, just in the peripheral, just in case. But like the kids were up on stage dancing, stage diving. It was awesome. I loved it. So yeah, I guess that's... I guess I changed my answer. Small shows are fucking magic, dude. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember um, on the first Times of Grace tour, do you remember playing a venue in the UK that was like a converted church? Was that, where is that, in Portsmouth? I'm trying to remember. Oh, no, yes. Yes, I do remember. I do, because when we were loading in, we were all just like, what the hell? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that night ended with Adam and I carrying people, or people carrying us. We were pretty hammered after that show, from what I remember. Yeah, it's, I was there. Were you there? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted Maybe. to ask you. So backstage, there's a stained glass window. Yeah. And on it, it says no cross, no crown. And Corrosion of Conformity played there. And they named their, their, named their album after that stained glass window. Badass. That's <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> I love I if you remembered it. I, yeah, I don't remember. That. I, the Times of Grace tours were just so fueled in alcohol because it was my first time over there that you know mm. a lot of people don't know that i didn't get to europe during the early days of kill switch so mm. times of grace was my first uh trip across the pond and it was my first time touring after being you know a regular sort of working class stiff for six years so it was full-on party between adam joel and, and our drummer dan and myself and i don't even know who we had on bass at the time but there was not a sober moment that in higher tour so <laughs> i don't remember a ton from it unfortunately but you look back at it fondly rock and roll <laughs> yeah yeah I, w I can't do that shit anymore absolutely not um i'm too paranoid about my voice and my health but uh mm. yeah it was fun i'm sure i sounded like total shit but it was fun oh, it was yeah. good, man it sounded amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's your memory of it <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm sure yeah. if you you watch the tape back on youtube if there is one i'm, I'm sure i sound like oh, i did find a clip of it earlier just like oh, just like a 30 second clip on youtube and it sounded great there you go so I'll how do you get um psyched up from being obviously out in the wilderness you know down by the river and out with nature how will you, you know, transfer yourself into, you know, performing in such an intense, packed little venue? How are you going to do that? What are your thoughts about it? How's, what's your plan for that? Um, for the first time in my life, I've ordered a weight set. I'm going to start pumping iron. Um, my, my girlfriend is a physically fit acrobatic type. She's a gym person. She's totally my my coach my sort of life coach that helped me get through a very difficult time where i was having heart issues and uh all kinds of issues for my diet so she's really helped me a lot and she's kind of like my trainer she shows me new stuff so i'm getting weights i'm going to start lifting weights um we just went for a good hike today i'm going to start biking so physically i'm going to get in shape and then i'm going to start um a, a singing routine starting like next week where you slowly work up into an hour, hour and a half set time. And then you try to maintain that. So when I do get on stage, I'm physically prepared and the rest of it is just mental, which, you know, that's kind of day by day. But I think with the physical comes the mental. So if you're, if you're staying in, in shape and like keeping your blood going, 
your mental is going to be pretty nice. Like it, it's something I've learned along the way. When you stop moving and you stay put, especially with depression, which I deal with, and I stay in bed for a couple of days, it makes it so much worse. You got to mm. move. So I think me preparing for the road is, is going to be a lot of physical stuff. But even that being said, dude, it's going to be hard because I've learned to really love staying still. I've learned to love little things like cutting my lawn and going to the grocery store, like shit that I could never really do when I was touring nonstop. So, you know, I'm not gonna lie. It's gonna be a little difficult. I feel like a hobbit. Like I'm like, I got a big adventure to go on, but there's a part of me that's like, I just want to stay home and sip tea, man. I don't know, man. (laughs) So we'll see. It's going to be an interesting transition. Mm. Have you ever had, um, speaking of tea, have you ever had chaga tea, Jesse? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the teas. The, the yeah, charger tea, it's got the, it obviously from the mushroom on the bark in um, Siberia, isn't it? Yeah, charger- the last year I've been um, getting it in this sort of like raw form, uh, dry, dried out, obviously, big chunks of it. Friend, um, you know, you sort, you sort of cook it for the, really in like in a, a slow cooker for like eight hours and make the tea and then it's it's like got 21 of the best nutrients in the world in it hasn't it it's and it does it does make i've got asthma and i i was sort of drinking it for a prolonged period of time and it my, my asthma kind of naturally started to disappear i was taking my inhaler less yeah and it's very relaxing isn't it but have you ever had a lot of it where you kind of feel a bit strange on it because we have had that experience before I have not had that with chaga, but I have plenty of mushrooms in this house that do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard about that on Stack of Fire. Mushrooms are incredible, man. The more I research them and learn about them, we basically, my girlfriend and I, we eat mushrooms almost every day, different types of mushrooms. Because you can go to the farmer's market here and people forage in the forest here. So you're getting like different mushrooms every week. So we've gotten really creative with it. That's basically our meat. I don't eat meat. I'll do seafood occasionally, but um, we've learned like chicken, chicken substitute. Uh, what is it called? Hen of the woods, chicken of the woods. It's a mushroom that's called chicken of the woods. And I swear to you, it tastes like chicken. If you prepare it correctly, it's even got the texture of chicken. There's a lobster mushroom that I've made lobster rolls. And I swear to you, these things taste amazing. It's all about the spicing and the flavoring. You know, most people are thrown off by texture. You can even texturize it a certain way. There's a mushroom called lion's mane where you can make like little filet mignon style. And I swear it's lion's so mane. good. It's Is amazing. Lion's mane supposed to um, enhance the signals to your brain, isn't it? And actually repair them and make, make your brain function better. Wow. Yeah. So That's mushrooms are everything. And then the sea moss has been a huge part of our diet as well. Irish sea moss, which is a, basically like a seaweed. If you look that up, that will change everything for you. If you start taking on a regular basis, as a matter of fact, plug, my girlfriend has a business called Purple's Herbals where she sells uh, organic um, sea moss. We take it every day. Cir- you want to talk about circulation? It's fixed my gut. Um, I used to have acid reflux. It's gone. I used to have allergies, all different kinds of al- gone. And I'm not joking. This is life changing. Wow. Look it up. Sea moss. Yeah. A steady diet of good mushrooms and sea moss. I feel like a kid again, man. I'm 43 and I feel better than I did when I was a teenager. I swear. Yeah, that's, that's definitely better. something to look into. I mean, I bought, I bought um, Sam 
big chunk of chaga for you to try and you was a bit unsure about it because obviously after the heart attack i was like well it might help you you know because of, of so much nutrients in it but you haven't actually cooked a batch up yet have you not yet no, no. <laughs> i will do i think you i think you will if one day i just think i might just cook that chaga up yeah because i mean it just stays there in a big dried lump if you can you know and people people online actually make a batch and then they put the liquid in the freezer and then let the ice expand it and then they defrost it and then drink it again it's supposed to enhance it further yeah, taking the, taking the chaga to the next level they say i'm not even sure whether that's even necessary because it's such a well it's such a, a, a you know, rich resource anyway isn't it yeah the moral of the story is mushrooms rule the world and honestly they're the largest living organism on the planet there's a great documentary uh, i can't think of it off the top of my head but it's this uh the scientist talking about how mushrooms are like everywhere and they're interconnected so where you see one it's probably connected over a couple of miles to another one they're all talking underneath it's wow. there they're like an alien species that's incredible and now they're talking about using mushrooms to help decaying corpses so when you bury a human body if you put mushrooms around it as opposed to a coffin and all these chemicals we put around us if you put mushrooms around it'll eat all the toxins away and you become fertilized you become part of the earth without wasting because we're toxic we walk around with tons mm. of like when we die we expel toxic like we're disgusting yeah and mush mushrooms will consume that and create nutrients and so yeah when i die i'm gonna be wrapped in mushrooms total hippie shit i'm so doing it i've seen these things like they advertise it now where you can be when you die you can uh, you can like become part of a tree and things like that it's like you know, it's crazy isn't it that's but the way it should be. That's what we should be doing instead of like, you know, these polyurethane pieces of wood. Like, why? Why is that a thing? Because religion? Come on, dude. We, like, everyone's talking about being more green and being more. Like, stop using those things, man. Yeah. We're basically uh, dead <laughs> landfill, aren't we? Really? Yeah. So we're set me on fire or wrap me in mushrooms. That's how I, I want to go out. Either Viking funeral or just hippie mushrooms. Done. Put me I've away. Seen, I've seen now as well. They can they can press you into vinyl. It can be a record. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, that might be the way. All right, so maybe I go three different ways. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I got to look that up. Yeah, I promise you. I've seen it advertised. You can actually do that. It's absolutely mental. I'll become Black Sabbath 4 in my, <laughs> my next that's, Well, that's the album to be, right? <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. <laughs> and you were speaking on your podcast, um, Life, we're not life in the stocks. That's Matt's. We've had Matt on. That was brilliant. That's what inspired it, though, man. I'm a huge yeah. fan. I love yeah. Matt. Yeah, no, we had a we had a, we had a great chat with Matt. Um, yes, yeah, stoke the fire, stoke the fire. Um, you were speaking to Mina. I wonder just because I was interested in it and wanted to speak a bit further with you about it. That there's a potential that she believes that we're just like high speed fragments of life uh, of light. Um, what was it? Yeah, and we could be like high-speed light bulbs in a quantum realm, and we're not really actually here. Is is that a possibility? I mean, I mean, really, anything's a possibility. I think that we as humans are so egomaniacal. We think we just get it. And we know. The more I learn, the older I get, the less I, I realize we do know about ourselves. 
you know, and I've been, I've been through it all. I've researched documentaries. I've, I've been through religions. I grew up a pastor's kid. So I, my whole life has been a journey to understand who we are. And the more I realize, the more I learn, rather, the more I realize, like, nothing's off the table for me. I can't say you're wrong. Who knows? You know, I can't Ooh. say you're right either because I don't know. Sometimes you hear something you're like, oh, that sounds funny. But like, who knows, dude? You know, yeah. people talk about living in the matrix. That's a possibility. The technology that we have that is available to us as um, civilians is is shit compared to what's probably out there. What we what the secret people are probably in the military. Case in point, those guys have technology far, far surpassed of anything that we have. And we've got computers in the size this big in, in our hands that you think about growing up in the 80s when I was a kid, the first computer I ever saw was the size of a room. Like mm. sick. And it was it computed like barely anything. Yeah. So when we talk about like what's next or where we are, like nothing's off the table. And I love that about Stoke the Fire. We don't we don't uh, censor anybody. We welcome all opinions. And Mina is very special because she focuses on that really deep stuff on a regular basis. She's made it her whole life. She's re like reads books constantly. I mean, I've spoken to her off the podcast too. Like that's her life goal to like try to understand the universe. So people like that, as much as some people may scoff and be like, that person's crazy, pay attention, man. And I think we should all be open to what people have to say, mm. even if it's like laughable, you know, like I love watching Ancient Aliens. It's one of my favorite shows. Do I believe every single thing? No, but it's really opened my mind up to think like, huh, that makes sense. Zoroastrian religion had so much to say before all these other religions that basically mimicked it. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't watched this silly program that people make fun of. And it's caused me to go down a whole other path of researching. And, you know, some of it's fun and I do it for amusement. And other times I'm like, wow, that just blew my fucking mind. Mm. So mm. answer your question. Yeah. Who knows, dude? Yeah. No, I mean, well, well, I speak about it with my friend at work all the time. We, we're all speaking about different things that could be or couldn't be because you get, you get a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> we're electricians. So we just kind of. <laughs> tinkering away and Look busy that in a way you know we're, we're kind of you know podcasting all day but not recording it if you know yeah, what i mean yeah, totally absolutely and, you know we, we 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 talk about um you know say like for example in england the bbc the news and you throughout your whole sort of life you you believe what everything the bbc says but now there's all, all these alternative news channels and you're getting other perspective for things and you think oh and then you look at like say Bill Gates or whatever puts in forty-seven million pound a year to the BBC, and you're thinking, is that just for them to say what he wants people to hear about his, you know? And you, you look at all the other different news channels and that, and you like, okay, so through the eighties or whatever, when there was just the BBC, you all just believed it was gospel. You had your parents go watching the news every night, wouldn't they? You know, you come in from playing, and your parents be watching the news like it's religion. It's a religion. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, now, it's, now there's another there's another side to it. You're thinking, well, maybe that wasn't a religion. Maybe that's just a pure government channel. Mm. You don't know yeah. what is wrong, what's fake news, what's real news, what's a conspiracy theory. It's kind of disturbing now, isn't it? Because fake news, real news, conspiracy theory. I'm a bit confused what is actually real at the moment, Jesse. What do you think <laughs> yeah. about it? 
I'm 100% with you. And I've been a quote unquote conspiracy person for many, many years. But the funny thing is, is a lot of the shit I believed in and talked about that people are like, you're crazy. It's come true. It's already come true. A lot of the stuff I used to talk about and all my friends be like, you're nuts. You're crazy. It's already come true. What's your so, favorite one? Oh, no, I got to skip that one because it's super and most. You know what? No, I'm not talking about anything right now because the, the, the time that we live in right now, if I say too much, I'm going to be crucified. And uh, I have done my best to keep my nose clean uh, during this whole thing because what I truly believe pisses people off. It doesn't, you can't win. You, you can't win. Whether your view is on the right spectrum or the left spectrum or in the middle going fuck both sides, people are going to be pissed about anything. Mm. So mm, my mouth is closed. I believe what I believe. I'm, yeah. promoting, I'm promoting like through my music and through social media, I'm very careful to promote equality and, and unity and love. And I've mm. really focused on more of a spiritual aspect these days than spouting off my angry political things. I think my songs, if you read my lyrics, they speak for themselves. I've been saying yeah. it's day one, what I think about the government and the system. And I can easily say what I've been saying for years, the system is absolutely fucked. Mm. Uh, we are constantly, constantly, I don't care what you believe. We are constantly being lied to. Uh, it's propaganda. And then the mainstream media is bought and sold. It's propaganda period. Yeah. So I'll blank. I'll leave that a blanket statement right there. And, and that, you spoke to, you were speaking to Jester. I listened to your podcast with uh, Jamie Jester. You're both saying that there's certain things you can't even say. You, you're not allowed to even say it because the podcast will then not be, will go out or whatever or get deleted or whatever. I mean, that's just mad. You had not even really got freedom of speech on the internet, really. Yeah. No, it's very that's true. So I mean, mad. Even as a joke, right? Kill switch on our streaming event. They Adam thought it was hysterical to name it "vaccinated and intoxicated," and I was like, uh, "I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, it's just it's a trigger word." So when I just put up my post just today, I I like took that word off because the moment you put that word up, this little thing pops up and it's a whole commercial for like what's going on and like mm. I don't want any of that shit and I don't want to use that word and I never use that word. I don't even type that word. Uh, because it's a trigger word and it's going to, people are automatically going to be at each other's throats. Yeah. Want nothing to do with that, man. But, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the last thing you want is a load of people in at each other's throats. There's no time for uh, negativity, is there? I mean, the, the amount of, um, the amount of abuse that, um, Steph Carpenter got, for example, from Deftones for putting his, his beliefs about the flat earth thing on the yeah. internet. Um, if he wants to believe that, that's that's up to him, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Why why do people have to get involved? You know, or get angry? That's my yeah. whole thing. Yeah. If somebody, and that's the problem we're we're living through right now, is there's no tolerance and there's no discussion. It's arguing and it's name calling and it gets ugly within seconds. Mm. Within seconds, there's no, all civilities off the table, and you're not learning anything about anything. So for me, I've got friends who believe all kinds of things. Yeah. I, I sit and listen to people speak about how they hate the vaccine. I got people who are like, this is going to save humanity. And I'm in the middle, like, okay, I'm hearing both sides and I'm really interested in what you have to say. Mm. And when they try to look at me, I'm like, I respect what you have to say. Tell me more. Like I let them speak. And I feel like if we were more like that with each other, we would have a lot to learn because I think checks and balances and sort of 
being open to hearing someone's opinion could alter yours. It might not change your completely opinion completely, mm. but at least give you a little bullet points to go, Oh, that I never thought of it that way. That kind of makes sense. Or, huh, you're way off on that. Check this out. This is what I think. And if you could do that in a, in a civil way where you're actually discussing, you could actually help each other find more knowledge and wisdom. And that would be beautiful. But is it that way? Absolutely not. Right. So that's off the table. I don't, I don't talk about it. I don't want like it comes up in an interview. I'm like, nope, I don't want to talk about it. Mm, no, there's enough division. There's enough people insulting each other and spouting off about it that I'm like, you know what? Do you? Oh, I wrote a song about love and unity. Let's play that song. Like that's kind of where I'm at. My music speaks for myself. And other than that, let's let's talk about other things. You know, that's just yeah, where I'm yeah. at. I can't participate, man. No, yeah, no. fair enough. It's, it's, it's... Yeah, my favorite my favorite conspiracy theory was the one about um, the Beatles. You heard that one? Um, Paul McCartney's dead. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I and, see those. Are, those are kind of fun. That's fun. Yeah, right. And he's and he's like actually a a window cleaner called Brian or something. <laughs> and, and, on, and on the front cover of the Abbey Road EP, it all shows you that because of what they're wearing and because John yeah. Lennon didn't have shoes on, he was like the, the old bear or whatever. I love that. I think that's such a good conspiracy theory. And it's a bit that's of fun, very, really. It's very it? Monty Python, too, you know? <laughs> it's a like window washer guy. Oh, what's his name? Brian. Oh, yeah, Brian the window washer. <laughs> He's now Paul. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so good. I love little things like that, you know? I, I'm not too bothered about, like, the real serious kind of conspiracies. I like the stupid ones. <laughs> I, I like them all, too, but I, I tend to go pretty deep with, with certain people about the, the serious ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. Round two. <laughs> Very sorry about that. Something went wrong, obviously. I can tell you what it was. It was the government, man. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. They're listening. They're listening. One of us said one of the keywords. They've shut that tie dye yeah. shop down already. <laughs> yeah, seriously, dude. That's why I don't talk about it. Damn it. <laughs> so, Jesse, let's, let's, let's go back to music for a little while. Um, who are some of your favorite bands to tour with? Favorite bands to tour with? I mean, at the top of the list, just for backstage and for the legendary status, Iron Maiden was incredible to tour oh, with. Hold on, I'm wearing a Maiden t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Those guys, incredible. perfect gentlemen. They have about 100 people on their um, crew. And those guys couldn't have been nicer. Good morning, every morning. Some of those guys learned our names. So first name basis, you're walking through the door. It just, you felt so welcome. The band would come into our dressing room. Everyone's like, hey, Jens, how you doing? Like, super sweet. They'd kill it every night. I mean, it was a challenge to work that crowd a little bit. But in, in retrospect, it, you know, when I'm older, that's one of the first stories I'm going to tell whoever's going to listen to an old crazy man about when I was younger. Iron Maiden, top of the list. Those guys were just, I mean, they're legends. 100% absolute legends. Um. Oh, let's see who else did I really enjoy. Um, Anthrax was incredible. Those guys are awesome. Another legendary band that I just grew up listening to and just down to earth dudes. And I mm. love that. You know, you got these guys who've been in it for so long and, you know, I've toured with bands that have treated us like shit and been total rock star pricks. Mm. And they, there's, you don't, you don't deserve that because I've toured with Anthrax and Iron Maiden and they were the most humble, sweet, considerate people ever. Yeah. So those two are the top of my list um, for sure. I absolutely love both those bands and the Anthrax dudes. Like we've done, like I think like three tours of those guys, and just and every night they kill it. You know, Joey sounds incredible. Sounds incredible. Bruce, sixty years old, probably sixty two or sixty three now, sounds incredible every single night. 
Mm. I learned a lot from touring from those two vocalists alone, just absolute legends, and they sound great every and night. And you said Amphrax. I, I, I just laughed because I immediately thought of when they was on Headbangers Ball and they like visited some girl's house and started like soaring part of the her house down and they were running around her house smashing it up. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was on the Headbangers Ball America. There was like some competition she won. This girl, it's Amphrax that comes to the house. And they turned up on a Jeep all running the house and they was like smashing the house up and they were soaring her house. It was just like, then they just <laughs> went and she was just like, Amphrax were on my bed. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah, they're, they're one of the first bands to make it okay to make jokes and be funny. Like, you know, Killswitch owes them a huge good of gratitude because gret of gratitude, Jesus. Um, because, you know, we grew up watching that band be funny. And I was like, oh, that's, we can do that. I'm, Adam will say that to you to your face. Like, Anthrax was a huge influence on his goofiness. And touring with them is just super fun. It's just good vibes, you know? Mm. Being a great band. Yeah, so that's the two off the top of my head that I'll never forget. Even if my career stops tomorrow, I'll look back with total fondness on touring with both those bands. And is that is that who you look up to in the punk rock metal world, or is there any other certain person that you just not idolize, but think this is the person in the rock punk metal world that is just you're all what you're all about, you know? Yeah, Joe Strummer. Yeah. Joe Stummer from The Clash. Uh, for me, not only musically, lyrically, but the way he lived. I mean, Stoke the Fire is pretty much inspired by what he did at the Glastonbury Festival where he had people gather around the fire. And the, you know, he just had such a sense of community, and you could see the humility in that man after The Clash when he went solo and did the Mascaleros and you know that documentary about his his career and he's in the streets passing out flyers and wanted to know what the kids are into these days Steve, and genuinely genuine. cared and went to like electronic music festivals. And like the way that man lived his life to me has always been a huge inspiration. I love the music, but Joe Strummer as a human being and by all accounts from all my friends who knew him and got to hang out with him and party with them. Like he was just a stand up guy. And that to me is what I believe quote unquote rock star should be like you know mm. fuck, fuck the rock star thing like anyone who acts like holier than thou or has an, an ego and attitude when it comes to that i got no time for that i'd much rather hang out with my neighbor down the street than some shithead like that i i can't stand <laughs> that so to me joe strummer was a huge huge inspiration for me still is amazing it's really cool what was the what was the first um the first gig you went to first live band you saw well, I grew up a pastor's kid, so I've seen plenty of Christian bands. <laughs> like some of that stuff is so goofy and so wacky, especially in the '80s with like the Christian rock scene. Um, yeah, I went to see uh, a band called Petra, which probably my first show, and it just cheesy, cheesy, cheesy rock stuff. Um, yeah, the because we weren't allowed to listen to non uh, sec- secular music, rather secular music, mm. so. For a good chunk of my life, I could only listen to Christian music. So my first concerts were Christian rock concerts. And in retrospect, it's hysterical to me. But um, my first non, like my first show that I took myself to with my friends where I saw a band that was like, whoa, was a band called Kilgore Smudge. They later on became Kilgore, 
This is like uh, 90s, sort of like that drop D metal with melodic singing, really mm-hmm. heavy. Um, and I remember seeing that band and being like, that, this is cool. What is this? And these guys are like just a little older than me. It was like uh, such an aha moment of like, wow, I'm in a small club with these guys from basically my area where I live playing incredible music. The crowd's going nuts. I got kicked in the head by a skinhead and I was just like, Oh yeah, I'm alive. This is for me. And I was there with my cousin and my best friend and I was in the pit and I just, I left that gig with just smile ear to ear. Like I'm in, what is this shit? I'm so into this. This is Petra then. (laughs) No, no, I'm definitely not Petra. Uh, So funny. Yeah. What were Petra like? Were they like Hanson or something like that? No, not actually not even that bad. Um, how do I describe You just have to look it up. Look up Petra. <laughs> oh, I will do. Yeah, definitely. Some, I mean, of, it's, some, some of it's good songwriting, but it's cheesy. Yeah. It's very cheesy. There's some, I mean, there's some great Christian bands out there, you know, like, well, uh, Under Oath, I suppose, springs to mind. You know, there's bands oh, yeah, out there. Yeah, but that's, that's different. We're talking 80s, man. I mean, yeah, sure, up, sure. Striper. Yeah, stri- exactly. Striper's probably the best of those types <laughs> of bands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of those bands. I can't think of the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's a long time ago. Put up my my parents would have to screen whatever music or cassette tapes we brought in. They would open them up and read the lyrics out loud. Mm. And if they saw something, they were like, "No, no, no, we couldn't listen to it." So, yeah, that was my whole childhood up until about I'd say eleven, twelve years old when I was able to like check out stuff that wasn't censored by my parents mm, that's when you got into black sabbath you know what yeah it's anthrax we were talking about anthrax anthrax was one of the tapes my brother brought home and it was the i am the man single which is like their jokey rap song and they had an uncensored version and and a, a censored version so when my folks were home my brother would play my older brother would play the censored version and then when they'd go out to like Bible study and we were left alone, we'd crank up the uncensored version and just swear at each other, like, take no shit. And like, look, at each other, like, <laughs> swear. Yeah. <laughs> we we're like the Simpsons, you know, the, the Flanders kids on the Simpsons, you know, like, oh, Jesus loves you. That was my whole childhood up until I was like, I don't want to be that way anymore. Yeah. But probably a really good foundation for you growing up that way. I, uh, yeah, I took the positive stuff, you know, as far as God is love and, and do unto others as you'd have do unto you like that, all that type of stuff I still cling to. And I still believe regardless of what you, your religion is or non-religion rather the foundations of what the teachings of Jesus actually are. If you look at actual teachings of what he said, they're beautiful. It's Mm. just the human element that comes in and organizes it and puts it into power structure and throws a bunch of guilt and judgment and messes with the wording and retranslates it. That's when I think it all goes wrong. You know, it's like somebody said, it's like this quote of like, Jesus seemed like a cool guy, but his followers are a bunch of dicks. (laughs) It always made me laugh because it's, I've listen. it's not all true. I've got people that in my family that are amazing, great examples of what it should be. But there's a whole bunch that aren't. And um, yeah. I've weaved my way through that religion and sort of just cherry picked what I feel is the beauty of it and the foundation of it. And that's kind of what I still cling to mm. without using the label. I don't need to be called a Christian. I don't need to be called whatever. 
I'm, I'm still searching and I'm comfortable with not knowing everything and just trying my best to continue on this journey with gaining wisdom and knowledge and trying to be a good person. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my, my parents went to church when I was young and all, all of our values and stuff are probably totally Christian, you know what I mean? But when I was probably the same age as you, it kind of fizzled out and there was no more of that. And it just you just left with the Christian values, but you're not a follower as such anymore. Yeah, yeah. Probably, so, yeah that's probably a lot of people in England. Yeah, I was brought up a like Catholic, that, but you know? you know, at some point I decided that wasn't the path I wanted to take. I still consider myself to be a Catholic, but not practicing i don't go to church but i think i got a lot of you know a lot of things from that yeah yeah and i think that's part of our journey and and the the problem lies therein when you question it and you doubt it and you want to know more about it and you research it and people get very offended and very angry um and on the new times of grace record there's a song called far from heavenless where i address this exact issue Mm. um where I'm sort of exposing a little bit of my frustration with the people within that system that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not living as they're called and they're pretending to, and they're manipulating people and they're doing very dark things such as molestation of children and being, and being sort of absolved of it. And the religion is continuing to roll out the, this protection of dark people. And it was just, I had enough with it and, when Adam and I sat down to write this song, I said to him, look, I really want to address this. It's something that's really, I need to talk about it, but how do I do it? And he's like, don't hold back. Just write what you feel. So mm. that whole spoken word section in the middle of that song is just me. Like, I'm just, I've had enough. Like, and then the, the song ends, who deserves salvation and who deserves damnation? Who are you to tell somebody, oh, you're going to hell. Oh, you're going to make it to heaven. Really? That's where you are with, with your faith and your belief. And that's the kind of stuff that I just, I can't handle that. That self-righteousness, that sort of entitlement of like, I know what's going to happen to you. Isn't your relationship between you and the great creator, the great spirit, mighty God, like who is intervening there? And I have a, I have a lot of bones to pick with that. So I'm sure there are people, and I've actually gotten messages that are very upset that I even, who am I to question or to bring up the darker side of religion? And I say, so be it. I'm doing it out of respect and love for what I truly believe what God is. And God, if God is truly love, where's all this other stuff coming in? This judgment, this anger, this hate speak of people who have a different lifestyle or a different religion. How does that make sense? It's such a contradiction. So that's a song that's gotten me into a little bit of trouble, but I'm quite proud of that song. Oh, it's an amazing it's good. song. People need to hear both sides of the story, don't they? Need it, they need another view as well as just the religious view. So I say, go for it, man. get it where you have, <laughs> get it out there. As with politics and religion, it's dangerous, you know. And then, yeah, exactly. It's gonna so cut off in a minute. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Oh boy, <laughs> lightning. What's the uh, biggest surprise you've had in the last few months, good or bad? If you can. I'll the put biggest spot there. <laughs> I mean, there's tons of them. I get surprised every day by the uh, by the audacity of people. Um, <laughs> I I guess for me, how I feel is people who are critical, who are having critical thought, that really want to truly understand. 
the situation that we're all going through and ask questions. I guess, and maybe I shouldn't be, I'm a bit surprised at the almost violent reaction that has come about because of what we've gone through, where I feel like fear has been weaponized to a mm. point where, where people are so afraid that what they believe or what they have been consuming is not correct that anyone who's sort of going that doesn't make sense or this hurrah, there's this rage against people who are trying to sort it out and i think i'm a bit shell-shocked and still kind of like wow so we can't even discuss this there's no talking points that can be put out to sort of logically and calmly discuss all this shit that we've been thrown because look if you're paying attention mainstream media has given us a ton of contradictions a ton things that don't add up at all and it's progressively more confusing to me where I just kind of throw my hands up and like, I don't fucking know. Mm. What do you th- I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, the fact that we're afraid to like have a discussion about it and try to come to some sort of a logical meeting point, you know, a common ground where we can all sort of stand as we the people and go, all right, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Let's try to like work as a community to figure this out. There's none of that. And I think I'm a bit shell-shocked and like wow we're this is where we are where we can't even discuss Scary, it. Isn't it it sucks man it sucks like, and it, yeah. someone like me who's a big loud mouth about what i believe and what i feel and like i'm all for critical thinking i'm all for people having their freedom i'm all for people being compassionate at the same time too and those things just can't really coexist right now so that's for me just being like wow okay i'm just gonna shut up fight i guess i don't have to tell you man and I know you, you, you're trying to get talking, you, you're trying to get discussions on Stoke the Fire, and it is, it is good what you're doing there. And we try to do it on our podcast. We try to, we love talking to people, you know, and hopefully that's, that could be a little thing, couldn't it? You know, where people can get online, do podcasts, and we can talk, we can mm. talk, and there's nothing they can do. You put it out there. Yes, they, they can look for the buzzwords in it and delete it. Hopefully, if you can just stay on the on the little medium of keeping it uncensored, it's a good platform, isn't it? Podcast. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a discussion. It's a conversation. You know, not an argument. And again, you know, I don't have to agree with you, but I would love to hear what you have to say about it Mm. because I'm constantly evolving my beliefs, and I think that's the beauty. Whether you're talking about politics or religion. Belief should be something that is continuing. It's ongoing. It's growing. You're, you're, um, you know, evolving, which is a trigger word for some people. Uh, we should be continuing to evolve and to continuing to question and wanting to gain more knowledge and then apply that knowledge and become wisdom. That's what it's all about. And anyone who thinks they've got it all figured out and they chastise people violently because somebody thinks differently, that's, that's a problem. We as a as a species aren't going to evolve. We're not going to gain more wisdom and find more harmony without that. So yeah, podcasting is a nice way to sort of put that out there and allow people who are interested to digest it mm. without being cut off, without being shouted at. You can tune into a podcast and hear things and you could be in your house all pissed off because you don't agree, but turn it off. Yeah. You don't have to listen to it. And I love that about podcasting. Or enjoy still, it. We stoke the fire. We don't get too deep on, you know, controversial things it's more about your upbringing and your 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 soul and your evolution as a human and i love that because to me 
the, the, the trigger topics like religion and politics. I'm, I'm sort of disinterested these days to talk about that stuff, at least on a deep level, you know, where I've got to put my opinions out there and face the other side of, you know, my opinion. It's just, I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the mental wherewithal anymore to argue with people. Um, so yeah, I'm more, much more interested in like culture and, and, um, people's upbringings. I love hearing about people's childhoods, what formed them, why they got into what they got into, whether it's music or, you know, being a chef or whatever. I love that shit. And I'm one of those people too, like just in my daily life, I love having conversation. And I think that translates into podcasting. You can go to a pub and start up a conversation with somebody and learn some amazing shit, hear an incredible story of this person mm. that lives down the street from you. I love that shit. I love stories. I love conversation. And to me, that's what podcasting really is, is it's freedom of just being able to talk about things. Oh, totally. totally. Like I said to you, I kind of want my, um, you know, my, my mic running 24 hours a day. I just want to, I want to maybe do an experiment where I just record everything for like seven days, with every conversation I have, and then just, I don't know, cut it down. So it's <laughs> obviously it can't be like, you know, hours and hours and hours of footage, but it might be quite interesting to record a, a you know, a week into life as a podcast. Yeah, I think it? you'd be surprised some of the brilliant things you would probably find in that. And that's that's the beautiful thing about podcasting. You know, I've done so many interviews through my career and, you know, most interviews get like 15 minutes. You're not going to get a ton out of me in 15 minutes, especially if you're trying to like promote a record. So the long form that is podcasting to me is just beautiful. And it, it's as much as it's been going on for a while, I still think there's so much more to be done. Yeah, you've always said that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of weird the way we've got in at a time, well, we sort of started our one, when uh, there isn't, it's not mega massive, is it? You know, it's not, people would rather still watch telly than listen to a podcast, mm. you know, which is, I think over time, that will change. Oh, good day. Because well, we all think... like information, don't we? All want, and everyone who listens to a podcast always learns something, some little snippet from from any podcast they listen to. Yeah. Well, the problem with television is you got censorship. You know, you've yeah. got people who own these networks that, like we were talking earlier, they control what happens. I mean, with podcasting, from what I can see, it's rebel radio. Anything goes, and I love that about it because I think that's the true. That's how we're going to gain knowledge and wisdom is through each other without going through the corporate channels, without going through somebody who's saying, ah, that bit right there, we've got a sponsor that does this. You got to take that bit out. Like that happens a ton in television and it probably happens in some podcasts too. Mm. So for me, I love podcasts that aren't necessarily tied to a corporate entity, like even Stoke the Fire, it's Gas Digital Network. And when we had our first meeting with the guy, Ralph, who owns it, he's like, I will never censor you. I'll never tell you what to do. Mm. And we're like, well, that's right. good. Yeah, You're the that's one. Really good. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think that we've got a lot. We've got so much. We are sort of the underground network podcasting. I don't think people fully realize the potential and power that podcasting has. You got someone like Joe Rogan who's blown up he's huge he's massive and if that guy can do it and he's he's really good at it. i don't always agree with everything that goes on there but i've tuned into some of his stuff and he's really good at it he's made a career out of it. the guy makes tons of money off it mm. so like 
from some guy who's in their garage talking about whatever to him, there's a ton of in between where yeah. you could potentially exist and be giving out really good information to people and no one can stop you. No, that's right. I listen, I listen to that. Um, is it Bob Lazar? Uh, Jay Rogan, the guy that used to work in area 51. He talks I about never, work, working I mean, on the, he talks about working on the alien chips and stuff in, in area 51. I mean, it is nailed on convincing. Like you wouldn't doubt the guy for a second. Mm. This, this, that, that's a good one. Listen to that one. I'll have to check what that one that? out. Yeah, honestly, you start, you listen to him, and you're like, and he talks about the alien crafts being able to bend light, so you'd never see them anyway. And they're coming down; they can actually bend light, so you, your eye can't see it anyway because they just bend the light. And it's so convincing. Like, you'd have to be like a world class actor for that for well, that not to be true. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's I unreal. I, I loved that episode. Really, there's did. a. One of my favorite podcasts is the Sasquatch Chronicles, um, and uh, we don't have to get too deep into that, but uh, I am a firm believer that there is something. I've had encounters, many encounters that lead me to believe something is there, right? So mm. that's a whole other conversation, but uh, that podcast is very interesting, and they had this guy on. It's not all Sasquatch. It's mostly that, but every once in a while, he has different guys come on, and he had this guy on who was um, – military ex-military he was talking about his time over in uh, afghanistan and the middle east and he's talking about the technology that they have because he's in special forces these night vision goggles that you put on the ones that we have as civilians you know you can see in, in at night the ones that they put on with the military grade you look up in the sky and you can see the crafts you can mm. see he's like if you look up and it's one of those episodes too where you're listening this guy is so convincing you're like He's dead serious. You can hear it in the tone of his voice and the details he's saying and all the stuff he's saying. It's like, wow. He's like, I'm telling you, we have no idea. There are thousands upon thousands of ships over our head at any given time, but you can't see them. And when you put these special grade night vision goggles on at night and you look up, he's like, it's like a traffic jam of, of ships. And it, it's uh, like, how I want do we know? Goggles. Our, our, dude, I want our goggles. Yeah, right. <laughs> But how do we know, dude? We're our eyesight's terrible. Human yeah. beings' eyesight is—we've got a, a spot in our eye that you can't even like. It, we're blind directly there, so our brain fills in that little space. So you're—you can't even really trust your eyesight. Like we're yeah. not half as intelligent as we think we are. So I'm always entertaining like theories, and I'm always—I love stuff like what we're talking about. To me, it's fascinating. <laughs> I don't one hundred percent believe it. But man, bring it! I um, I've got a bag of chips, and I'm like, look, I'm just listening. Like, yeah, keep talking. Love this. But we shit. can't, we yeah. can't see a spot in our in the middle of our eye. You come on with that backdrop, Jesse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what's great? It's not even a backdrop. Check it out. This is the entire room. Oh wow! Oh, fuck yeah! I've the whole room. It's welcome. Yeah. See yeah, that backdrop it's... online. I'm like, that's so cool. I saw. Because... I said you saw a beer can the other day with that backdrop on the beer can. Oh yeah, like one of the craft craft beers. Oh nice. Yeah, had that backdrop, and I immediately thought that you'd done your own beer. I was like, <laughs> that, must, that, that must be Jesse's beer. I have to give credit where credits due. This is my girlfriend's design. I just helped her paint it. Um, but that being said, there is a beer coming out—a blueberry cake sour beer, uh, gluten-free because I can't have yeah. gluten. 
coming out in uh, I want to say about a month, and it's called Blue Medusa, named after the Times of Grace song Medusa. Uh, beer company out of New Jersey is doing it, and I'll be posting about that in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I have my own beer coming out. That's amazing, man! That's so yeah. awesome. We love yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> a blueberry cake sour, like what? I'm so into. Are we gonna get some of that from America? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be small batch, so it'll be it'll be hard to get a hold of. But I mean, if it does well, maybe they'll do more. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, why not? Your why own not? beer. That. So, did you go down to the? brewery and all that and just take part in that yeah, all, just, via, all via email and just discussion and like yeah, saying what how I you want it to taste yeah and then the artwork you know it's it's like a cartoon version of medusa and it's purple and blue the can looks awesome yeah and it's got the little times of grace logo on it so when it comes out it'll be sort of like times of grace presents this beer but it's totally me just being a nerd on email and listing the ingredients and what I didn't want in it because they were going to put lactate some milk through it. I was mm. like, nope, no milk. It's, I can't do milk. So it's basically a beer that I can drink and it's shit that I, I love sour beers. I miss more than anything. I love all kinds of beer like Guinness. I miss, I miss uh, German beers, but sour beers, man, so good. So I can't wait to try it. I'm stoked. Nice. Oh, that's amazing. I hope that's by some so miracle good. I get to taste that beer one day. <laughs> So going back to like the the kind of extraterrestrial theme for that for a second there, if you could yeah. send one song into space for all the other planets to hear, what would it be? By anyone, a representation of us. Wow. Yeah. Um, I could go two ways with this though. I could go a sarcastic like get, "Don't ever come here" kind of vibe, or like. <laughs> You could send a Bob Marley song and be like, you know, we come in peace. You know, I think for the peaceful, loving thing, I would definitely do Bob Marley, One Love, you know, um, for the sarcastic, maybe don't ever come here. Maybe, um, I don't know, Hammer Smash Face by Cannibal. Oh, Cannibal Copes. Back. Hammer Smash Face. <laughs> Sorry, so stupid. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Cannibal. that's good too. To- yeah don't yeah. come here yeah ah come in. it was funny <laughs> we were chatting to a guy um he's in a a uk punk band um called higher power and we were chatting to him we asked him the same question and instantly without even thinking about it he said wonderwall by oasis and we were like we weren't expecting you to say that yeah <laughs> wow so awesome such a good i chat. would say the uh the the ryan adams version of that song have you guys heard that version yeah yeah no yeah Noel Gallagher said after hearing that version that Ryan Adams did, I, I never quite understood what that song fucking meant until I heard him sing it. Actual <laughs> quote. So I, if you haven't heard that version, check it no, out. I I've heard it, man. I really like his, um, you know, the Taylor Swift cover album he did. That was amazing. Oh, it was so beautiful. He does a great Iron Maiden cover too. The, um, uh, was it? The... Wow, the song is escaping me. Wasted Years? Yeah. Right, right. Don't yeah. think I've heard that one. <laughs> Oh, look that one up, dude. He does an acoustic version of that, and it's. I will like, do. I will do. Oh, it's so fucking good. I, I just, yeah, that guy. He's a great musician, but I guess he's kind of a, kind of a sleazy dude. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, but his music is brilliant. But uh, yeah, he's a guy I don't I don't really talk about because of how sleazy apparently he is to people. But yeah, his, his music's incredible, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a bit shocking to sort of, you know, to suddenly hear that. And, you know, it's it's kind of hard. It's it's like, how far do you go? Because, I mean, I'd still listen to him. I still enjoy his music. But, you yeah. know, when I think back to, like, for example, 
you know, I don't even want to say it really, but like the guy from the Lost Prophets, it's like oh. I couldn't, I could never listen to them again. Not that I did much in the first place, but you know what I mean? It's yeah, it's hard. Like, where is that line drawn? Like, yeah, how I mean, bad has someone got to be before you say, right, I can't listen to that anymore? Yeah, I agree. It's it's a really it's a tough one. It is tough. I know. I mean, you could say the same thing about a, a Gary Glitter. You could say mm. the same thing about you know Michael Jackson allegedly. Yeah, I don't know, terrible. but with Ryan Adams, I, I, I he I'm such a huge fan of his music. I can't, but mm. um, I don't promote him. I don't talk about him. This is the first time I've actually even spoken about him since that. Yeah, but as a musician, you can't deny the absolute sheer brilliance of his songwriting. Oh, completely, completely. There's another guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's kind of a similar vein. A guy called Josh Rouse. Have you ever heard of him? Oh no. Yeah, he's he's from Nashville, but and yeah, very very similar kind of songwriter. But he's he's got an album called Nashville. But um, check it out; it's uh, it's something special. Yeah, remind me on the Instagram. I'm yeah, ready. no, I will do. I will do. So, what is your uh, what is your absolute favorite album of all time? And then and then the same question about a book. <laughs> Right. Let's do the book first. Uh, a book called Hyperion by Dan Simmons. It's a science fiction novel mm-hmm. uh, about, um, I'm not sure if the number is accurate, eight or nine pilgrims traveling through the universe or various universes to find these things called the time tombs um, and to meet the god of pain, which is called the Shrike. And it's eight different people telling their history as they float through space on this massive tree of life and it sounds crazy because it's absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant i think it's one of the most incredible books ever written because you're reading a movie script like he the way dan simmons writes and he creates everything there's nothing to compare what you're reading it's just this guy's mind is incredible it takes Mm. you on this journey and the book's probably about this big i've read it like six times now and it's one of like four books and I've read all four of them, but that first one, Hyperion, brilliant. If you want to like be taken away, like never ending story style where the book starts to become real in your head, like I would dream about it. I, mm. To me, it's one of the most brilliant pieces of literature ever written. And it's just, it, you got to be kind of a sci-fi nerd to suspend all your disbelief. And it's just a total make-believe land of like incredible storytelling. I love mm. that book. Right, yeah. Was it like a similar kind of thing to like Dune? Is it that kind of thing? I mean, I really enjoyed yeah. that book. Dune, but like Dune, if Dune took place on like eight different planets, uh, and they all, all eight different planets had their own story that all culminate into one for this crazy, unexpected ending. And just the character of the Shrike, the god of pain, who's made of liquid metal that crucifies his his victims and his followers upon these trees, and the picture he paints of these pain fields where it's just people crucified on things of liquid metal like the visual of that like hellraiser style times a thousand wow it it it, the guy is brilliant it's such a good book it's incredible so that's yeah me showing my absolute sci-fi nerdiness oh i'll be checking that out have you ever watched red wolf talking about sci-fi i haven't no oh that's that's fantastic it's kind of a cult thing in the uk really yeah comedy comedy sci-fi Matt would have seen it, hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Probably love it, wouldn't he? Well, dude, give me a list of all the stuff we're talking about here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super into to British cult stuff. I mean, I was I was raised on Monty Python, and then touring with Killswitch, they showed me a uh, Muddy Bush, and I'm oh like, yeah, thousand percent obsessed 
with Mighty Boosh uh, and anything that those guys have done. That I fucking love that shit. They're hilarious, aren't they? But so in such fun. a strange way. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's brilliant because there's nothing like it. I remember in the first episode they showed me on the bus was the Crack Fox. Yeah, and I was just like, <laughs> this is really fucking creepy, and I didn't get it at first. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's got like needles for hands, and it's like, ah. And now it's just the brilliance. I've, I can rewatch those things over and over again, and I'm still amused by them. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're fantastic, aren't they? Uh, and they're just timeless as well. They just You can watch it a million times, and it's always funny. Yeah. What about, um, I'm Alan Partridge. Have you seen that, Jesse? I have not, no. Oh, we're oh. going to tell him about that. <laughs> Alan Partridge is good. Keep a list, please. Please send Alan me this. Alan Partridge, list. yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you it's so funny. <laughs> we'll have to I'll tell I'll, we'll, we'll bring it to you after the exact ones you need to watch. But most people in the UK will often just say something that, that is like something he said. It's yeah. like everyone knows it's just it. part it's of our language. Yeah. Alan Partridge. It. <laughs> it just slips in there. <laughs> so, what, so what, about, what about the album, Jess? That's a really, really tough question. Um, I'm guessing because obviously, like you say, you like all different genres as well, which makes it much harder to kind of pick one album, yeah. I suppose. Let me think. Uh, difficult, difficult question. And I don't want to go to the go-to ones that I always say. I got to pick something unique for you guys. Um, mm. Let me think. Ah, I got one. Faith No More, Angel Dust. Oh, that's uh, a cracker. One of my absolute favorite records um, because it's so diverse. It's so interesting and unexpected, really. Like if you look back on that album i think to me it was the blueprint for many bands that came after it sort of trying to mimic what they were doing i mean you could name a ton of bands incubus system of a down bands that became huge lincoln park they all owe a debt of gratitude to to mike patton in that record mm. or uh, just think it's untouchable that record is untouchable and even the weird shit i remember when i was younger hearing like you know the <laughs> what is it I'm just telling what my daddy told me. <laughs> we ain't never going to mount to nothing. nothing. Yeah, that album is brilliant. Start I was lucky to enough to see him on that tour. It was uh, oh, Guns oh, and Roses, Guns and Roses, Soundgarden, Faith No More at Wembley Stadium. Come on, man. That was man. my first ever big gig. We spoke about oh, it on our first ever podcast before we even had a guest. But it was, I was a fan oh. for life from that second onwards. Yeah. Of Faith No More and Soundgarden. Obviously, oh, and obviously the Gunners. Yeah. Jim Martin was in the band still. Yeah. Guns N' Roses, the Appetite for Destruction is great, that era. Um, but that t- time frame of Soundgarden and Faith No More, pff, get out of here. That that destroys anything Guns N' Roses has ever done, in my opinion. Wow. Bad Lucky night finger. Yeah, it's got to be right up there, isn't it? Oh my lord! That rusted cage. Just take that song out alone. That song, man, incredible. Mm. I know. Soundgarden can't be understated. No, you know, I, no. Me as a vocalist and a lyricist, even clever. I mean, incredible, but clever. His lyrics. If you go back and re- and after he passed, I kind of like rediscovered some of his stuff in the darkness. Like he was telling us in so many ways that he was not in a good way. If yeah. you really pay attention to what he's saying, brilliant man. God mm. rest his soul, man. Yeah, that whole era—the '90s for me, '90s rock, '90s hardcore, '90s you know metal—even it was such a fun, interesting 
um, exciting time for music. Those early yeah. ni- the early nineties, there was just so many good alternative albums. It was constant, wasn't it? Yeah, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Nevermind, Angel Dust. Yeah, all yeah. of that. It was just like amazing stuff. And that's just I saw, free to I saw some. I saw something earlier, and it Black was album. it was it was quote it was I think it showed five tapes and said all these albums were released within within forty four days of each other, and you had Black on there. You had Pearl Jam 10, you had Bad Motor Finger, you had Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and you had Appetite for Destruction. No, you use your illusion albums. They were all released within 44 days of each other. And, oh, and I think Gish as well. And those albums on that. are considered classics. So they're considered classics today. Yeah, it's incredible. I look at Stone Temple Pilots too, like even just their first record, like they had like six hits off that record. Set me, yeah. set me. And not one of them clocked underneath like five minutes. Like it just quality songwriting, good music. And you know, you, you know, I, I'm that guy you look at nowadays and it's like, wow, it's so different now. Mm. Mainstream radio to me, just, I don't, I, I'll every once in a while turn it on in the car and be like, I don't get it. I just don't fucking get it. And uh, yeah, we were, we were spoiled, man. Anyone who grew up and was Paying attention in the 90s, man, that was the golden era for me, for any kind of music, really. Even electronic music in the 90s was awesome. I love some of that early shit, you know, like Chemical Brothers and like, mm. yeah, fuck with that shit. It's so good. Yeah, I saw him in a, a local venue to us um, called the Cliss Pavilion. I saw Chemical Brothers there. And before that, I was like, I don't even know why I'm going because I'm not really into dance music, but I'll go anyway. Someone got me a ticket. And I, the second I walked in there, I started dancing and I didn't stop. Never danced in my life. He doesn't dance. <laughs> didn't stop yeah. moving <laughs> i'm with you man my favorite group of all time is the orb i mean mm. i listen to the orb more than anything anything maybe that should be on the list actually um was it uf orb was the first record i bought by them and i was obsessed i've listened to it thousands of times if you were to look on my my itunes back when i used to have itunes very active there were over a thousand plays of that record and just incredible mm. genius you know electronic music man I, I love that shit. And I think there's a lot of genius in it. And um, it's, you know, when you come from hardcore and punk or metal, there's this whole like, oh, I hate that shit. And I find in the UK, there's a lot more acceptance of electronic music. I can have a lot yeah. more talks with people from the UK about, especially that specific time frame of music. Cause I feel like the UK got it. You guys had some of the best parties in the nineties and I've never got to go, but I have friends now and we discuss like the rave scene and the underground dance scene in the UK mm. You guys were killing it back then, some of the parties and stuff. It's it's such a fun time to look back on, man. Yeah, oh, and, totally. I totally kind of wish I was able to do it more, but I was so involved in punk and hardcore yeah. that it was, was kind of like, eh, I'm not going to go to those raves. Eh. And now I was like, shit, why didn't I go? They had the best drugs, and like the best, like everything, man. Missed out Remember, on that. Um, seeing Underworld at Reading Festival oh, ten, yeah. in the tent. It was Underworld played the tent in Reading 96. And that was that was my first real experience of a what I would call like a proper dance party, really. Yeah, it was a rave, but it wasn't an illegal rave like we have here in Essex back in the day. We used, there was a ton of illegal raves. This was obviously an organised festival, but that was awesome. The light show, everything, the music. You know that hit, didn't they? Born, Born Slipping Born at the time. Yeah. Remember that track? I mean, oh, that was that was an awesome gig. Man. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard? Um, sorry, Jesse. Have you heard that? The house, house, house DJ Waff at all? No, I haven't. That that guy is that guy now, is it? If you just if you if you know you, you, 
pumping house, this WAF guy. I was introduced to it by my friend at work. And I play what I want on the big stereo. Then he plays what he wants. And then he'll put WAF DJ set for my beefer on. This WAF guy, he is the one for mixing this house stuff and getting the, getting the party pumping vibe going with his, uh, with his sets. Waff, I love it. I'll ping that over to you as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is awesome. I'm, I'm super picky with house music because I either love it or hate it. So I'm, I'm curious because I'm kind of the old school guy. I love old school house, but some of the new shit, I'm like, eh. it's just, you know, for me, it's the typical as with any music. It's like when you know the buildups coming and then the breakdown, like, yeah, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, every fucking song. So yeah, I'll it depends. What you think yeah, I'll, send, I'll send you that IB for set that he, that he sent me. I've got it on my phone. I've got it on my home screen so I can just play it if I want to go for a run or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, love it. What about um, <laughs> DJ Shadow? You ever checked him out? One hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I've seen him a bunch too. Genius. Introducing is probably one of the best albums of all time. I think it's a game changer. It changed everything. Even it, it even changed hip hop. Yeah, you know, dudes were like looking at him like, "Whoa, this dude is like, where the hell did he come from? He came out of nowhere with that record." Yeah. And the really? amount of samples, he just—it's funny. I'm still discovering what songs he sampled from to this day. You yeah, know, I was doing. Doing, uh, I'm getting ready to do some DJ gigs here in, in Woodstock, and there's um, a sort of um, 60s psychedelic rock uh, pinups. I'm doing like a, a burlesque show. I'm DJing a burlesque show. And um, one of the songs I, I discovered, I'm like, the first like 15 seconds of the song is a DJ Shadow uh, sample. I'm like, oh shit, that's the song. I just, I was always wondering, because I mean, there's like a thousand something. It's ridiculous how many samples that dude used. Yeah. Well, the introducing was only made up of samples, wasn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. And from right across the board, like I think the second, I think it's the second or third track. Part of it is Orion by by Metallica. It's right. the bass from Orion. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah it is. Crazy. It's brilliant. He's a he's a genius. And live, it's cool because when I saw him live, the few times I did see him, he had the visuals and stuff, but then he had cameras on him, yeah, so you could see what he was, how he was doing with it. You know, it's brilliant. The guy's great. I love it's clever shit. stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And electronic music to me nowadays is very exciting. Um, I've been getting into like chill step and all these like odd genres of music. And my girlfriend's super into um, electronic music. And she took me to this festival here in the States uh, called Electric Forest. And it takes place in the middle of a forest. And they probably use a couple million dollars worth of psychedelic lights to light up this forest. And there's six different stages, including these weird little hidden stages where they have jam bands and like... 80s synth pop so in the main stage would be someone like bass nectar and then you could watch a band called the midnight you know playing 80s synth pop like a mile and a half away and it's all the same festival and to get from one point to the other you have to go through these crazy psychedelic forests with like art installations and people dressed like weird furry animals and mazes and like tea houses and a place to go get your hair cut like just it's a huge city of psychedelia. It sounds like, like Glastonbury. It sounds similar to Glastonbury. Yeah, We've been to Glastonbury. That's like as big as Middlesbrough, the, the actual city. <laughs> yeah. it's like, but I, I, it blew my mind, dude. And then coming out of that being like, there's a whole other world of music that I've just never paid attention to. So now I, I listen to a ton of electronic music because of that. And it's genius. There's some shit that's just so fucking genius. And mm. they're pulling samples from like Indian music and Himalayan chanting and putting like break beats underneath it. I'm like, this is amazing so i during the pandemic i did a ton of deep dives into electronic music uh which has been 
one of the fun things of staying still and having nothing to do. <laughs> mm, mm. Is this something you, you, you might think about doing in the future? What's that? Electronic music? Yeah. Oh, just before I came on this podcast, I was reviewing a bunch of stuff I've been writing. Yeah. I've got about, Oh, I, I have definitely have enough for an EP. Um, and I also have, uh, enough for an EP of like solo piano music. So I got a bunch of stuff I worked on during the pandemic. Will it ever see the light of day to show people? I'm not sure, but I got mm. some killer shit, man. Yeah, I got a ton of killer shit. But amazing. Yeah, so just many projects of, going on. <laughs> I can't help it, man. Juggling. When Let I me get, tell you this story. I, I don't even know what year it was, Jesse, but I was a printer, and we used to go down to this rugby club in the in the middle of this estate where I worked every lunchtime. So this one particular day, I don't know what day of the week it was. Anyway, we went down there and they always had a music channel on. So I'm just sitting there with my pint and this song come on and I immediately sat up and took notice. My last serenade. Oh boy. <laughs> that was my first ever experience of wow. Kill Switch Engage. And that that did it for me. I've got to say, you know, I'm having a, so I'm having a bit of a fanboy moment now, but... No, it did. It really did. It was it was pretty special just hearing that because I'd never heard, um, I'd never heard. It just it's just so powerful, so powerful. Yeah, a lot of that's Adam D. I mean, I came up with the the chorus, but the the way that song is crafted, where it's just that heavy, heavy riff into that super hooky pre-chorus into the even more hooky chorus. Yeah, it just I I just think it was all these elements came together at once with the right place at the right time with the right guy behind the controls, you know, mm. that song to this day, we, we have to play it every set. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And to be a part of something that people still care about and can sort of go, I remember when I first heard that and that's the song for a lot of people. It's crazy. Cause that was the first thing they let off with like, Oh, there's a new band kill switch. Here's the song. Boom. And you saw it and you heard it. And it was, it was, it was different from anything that was going on at the time because new metal ruled the airwaves. Yeah, that's right. This, this was the first thing that was kind of like championed by Roadrunner Records, who at the time were massive record label for, for like, you know, if you saw Roadrunner Records, you know, you're going to get something good. I mean, the legacy of that label. So for us to sign with them and then to be championed by them at that moment in time, mm. it all just came together. So I've heard that story a bunch and it's still to this day. I'm like, damn, that's crazy, right? It's so crazy that something that I was a part of, people still care about and look back and I'm always like, wow, I'll never forget that moment I heard that song. I yeah. think I wrote it pacing around in my my bedroom in Rhode Island as a kid, just being like, oh, sad, sappy song. <laughs> Here we go. And it took off. Yeah, it's crazy, man. So thank you. I'm honored by that. And I love hearing that. It's just Do you think wild. they should have... Do you think there could ever be a, a kill switch? Do you think kill switch could ever do anything like like an unplugged set? We could. Um, I just don't know if there's interest in that. Honestly, mm. those those four guys are very <laughs> those four guys are very different from me. I I would love I love experimenting. I'd love to do more diverse sounding things. But the great thing about that is uh, I've got Adam and we've got Times of Grace, and there's yeah. definitely room for acoustic stuff. I could see us putting out an acoustic EP one day for sure. So it's nice to be able to have that to sort of lean on where kill switch. I feel is definitely a bit more of like a, a straight up metal band that kind of wants to keep it that way, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. No, that's fair enough. I mean, you know, I've listened, I listened one day. I think I listened to um, the forgotten one probably for the entire day. Just had it on repeat. 
you know some songs just immediately just hit you don't they and, and you can really sort of you get the feel from it and you know it's just just the way it is sometimes right <laughs> that's beautiful that's the beauty of music though you know and and I think the importance of music too, you know, I can look back at my life at certain moments or whether it's sad or happy or celebratory where a certain song comes on and like it hits you and it stays with you. So when it comes on again, it just invokes those emotions and like those feelings. I mm. mean, that's the shit I live for. If I can write something that makes the hair stand up on somebody's neck, like I've done it and that's it for me. And Adam, that's kind of like our litmus test when we read a song. Does mm. it move us? If it moves us, it's gonna move somebody else, and I love that about music. Yeah, it's the, it's the soundtrack to our lives, really. And I think it's music itself is underrated because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Oh, totally, totally. It's it's in TV programs. It's in you know jingles. It's just you can't go anywhere. You can even sit at a construction site in a rhythm from a construction equipment. You're like, ah, oh, it's a good industrial beat. Like I'm that guy. I always hear music everywhere, mm. and I just think it's it's treated as less than it should be music should be much more uplifted and protected and yeah but it isn't so we're no, we're sort of the redheaded stepchild of the entertainment world and we're still going now we've yeah. got streaming streaming is a whole other thing we can experiment with now so i'm excited to see how streaming is going to like push forward the uh what we can do as a touring band instead of touring all the time mm. we could do these really unique streaming things and i yeah. look forward to more of that type of stuff when people realize the power and the reach because you can reach people in countries you've never toured in. We could have like a thousand people in India watch us. We've never been to India, but they could tune into our streaming performance. Yeah. So music is just, we keep finding a way to keep going. They took album sales away from us. We started having really cool merch and a ton of it, you know, like it just keeps evolving. I, I yeah. will always music and, and it's the underdog, but it's something that we all have in our lives on a regular basis. Exactly that. Exactly that. And you're going to get your tattoo soon. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. When am I allowed? When is allowed? <laughs> oh yeah, with the heart. Yeah, yeah. You got to be careful. Make sure you don't get the tattoo when you're not supposed to. I know. Yeah, I don't want to bleed to death or anything or whatever they think could happen. But... It was all set to go. <laughs> wasn't yeah, I was so excited. I was booked in and everything, but you know, it is what it is. You know, I've got your time ahead. So <laughs> the final tattoo. That's it. That's what takes you out as a tattoo. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, what was it like um, working with Howard on Signal Fire? That must have been was, interesting. It was interesting and, and sort of ironic in a way too, because um, you know, something I had in the back of my mind when I was working on that song, and I had actually said out loud, like, we got to figure out a way to get him on. Yeah. So when I'm working on that one particular song, to me, it was like, oh, yeah, this is good. It's a belter. And I love, I love his voice, and he was just perfect for it. And the ironic thing about that song is right before I went into vocal surgery was during that session where I lost my voice and it was just cracking on this weird, very low part on a song. Um, what is that song called? Um, Can't Be the Only One. It was during the verses and it's like easy for me to sing those things. And Adam was like, something's off. You keep getting sharp and flat. Like you're not doing this. What's going on? Something's wrong here. So that's when I sort of pumped the brakes and I still had studio time left with him and I was still in California and we had, a couple days left and it was like, all right, well, since I'm screwed, I don't know what's going on with my voice. Let's find out where Howard is. What's, do we have money in the budget to get him out here? Within like the next day, he caught up flight and I was able to stay there. I couldn't sing. I couldn't really speak that well, 
we sat and we hung out for a few hours and then he went in. I had everything laid out for him lyrically and like what I wanted to do. And I sat at the table outside of the, the vocal tracking room and, and I just listened to history happen. And ironically, it was like my voice didn't work that day. So I, I couldn't contribute or show him. It was just him in there with Adam. And I'll never forget sitting out there and just hearing that, that huge vibrato and the way he screams. And he just comes out with a smile. He's like, yeah, it's all done. I was like, dude. <laughs> then we all three of us sat there listening to the song. And it's like the three of us are like, this is good. This is really good. It's yeah, I'll never forget that moment. It was awesome. It was an awesome moment. And something I think just really, hopefully for the fans, really signified the unity of it and sort of the squashing of any speculation about, is there bad blood there? Is this mm. is it? And the whole competition of two singers who sound very different. To mm. me, it was just a nice way to just kind of like, here you go. Can you leave us alone now? We're just going to go do our thing. Yeah. And me, like, I love what Howard is doing with Light the Torch. I mean, oh, when me I too. heard that, when I heard that first record, I was like, brilliant. And his lyrics and his whole approach to that band, I love it. I think he's doing a hell of a job. And I respect the hell out of him as a vocalist. Mm. What's, it, what's it like singing uh, singing his songs? Uh, do you feel as attached to them as you do songs that you've written? Or is it a I whole do different program? Yeah, I do now, some of them, you know. Um, Initially, it was a little odd. It was like putting, trying on somebody else's songs. I've never done that before. Yeah. Um, the first song I connected with was uh, Arms of Sorrow, which to me to this day is one of my favorite Killswitch songs, mm. uh, including ones I've written. I love that song. It's just brilliant. And the lyrics are so honest. I think it's one of the most honest songs Howard's ever written. And it really speaks to me and my depression and what I suffer through. Um, but, you know, there are nights where End of Heartache or My Curse is just like, eh. I've sang these songs so many fucking times. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but the, the cool thing about those songs is on those nights when I'm a little fatigued, it's like the audience just is like, yes, we've been waiting for this song. I'm like, <laughs> ah, it's, it's about you guys. It's not about me and, and my stupid idea of my ego or whatever. It's like, you know, in the early days, it was like, it's not one of my songs. It's like, who cares? It's a kill switch song. It's not about you, asshole. It's about all of us. <laughs> and once I sort of like morphed into that person, which took me a few years, to sort of like let go of my own ego and all that bullshit that some performers have to deal with. I really just appreciate every moment I'm on stage and I'm grateful for it. And some of the brilliant songs, I mean, Daylight Dies, that record is incredible. Um, so to me, it's just, I've learned to really try to live in those songs and attach my own emotions and feelings to them. So when I am singing them on stage, it's a genuine feeling. Like I'm really mm. putting myself into them. Not just for me to exist and feel like I'm being genuine, but for the audience who who has been waiting to see this performance. I'm yeah. not going to, I never phone it in, never. Like I said, there are moments during it a heartache in my curse. It's also hard not to when Adam's at the bar getting a shot, you know, giving me a note <laughs> when I'm trying to sing a song, you know, and that's when it kind of becomes more of a party. But there's never a moment where I'm like, oh, this sucks. Like, I don't ever think that when I'm on stage. I absolutely love what I do. That's amazing. But I mean, what were those, what were the Resident Evil people thinking taking out all the heavy bits? I just don't understand. Well, you know, as we all know, you know, soft sells. So I think that's it's finding the balance between the two, you know, where I, I've never written a song specifically to like make a hit. I've never written mm. a song to think, oh, this could get on the radio. I mean, case in point, I am broken too. That song is pretty soft. Um, it's it's pretty short. I mean, by all standards, for the most part, it could be a huge radio hit. It really wasn't. 
But when we were creating it, it, in my mind, I was like, this is a great song. And then when I listened to it, I'm like, oh, it's kind of like a pop song. It's got the perfect, the chorus comes right in. So on paper, it's kind of a pop song and it's soft enough, but it's still metal. And I think it's all the intent you put into it. We've never been that band that's like striving for radio. There are some bands that truly, and I know this for a fact, are striving to write radio hits because they want mm-hmm. that radio success. We've never gave a shit about that ever. Even when I wasn't in the band, I know for sure Adam doesn't work that way. And mm. I love that. They just, we just write, they just write music that feels good. It comes out of us naturally. Yeah. That's what it's about, isn't it? Should be, at least. Shouldn't be false. What's the point in, you know, writing false, writing false music and not being true to what you believe in, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, boys, I got to wrap it up soon. Yeah, man. Jesse, you've been an Jesse, amazing you guest. Us, you've given us so much time. It's been such a good chat. And thank you so much pleasure. for coming on. I know it took a while, but I'm so glad you came on. Yeah. So there you go. It's been a pleasure, and I'm glad you guys are uh, you're still kicking in with the electricity there. <laughs> we made it work without the with the. We still actually did. If you think about it, we still got shut down, but we're, we came back. We, <laughs> we did. Got shut down by the FBI. We don't know. <laughs> and the beauty, the beauty of editing, they'll never know if you don't want them to. <laughs> Maybe uh, we'll raise a glass to each other one day. You yeah. never know. Hopefully, it's a Medusa bit. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Jesse, All right, d- d- enjoy the rest it. of your day, sir. And uh, thank you so much once again. And have a good evening, gents. And you. Peace. See you later. Thank you.